like a bad penny or more like an issue in professional wrestling that just won't go away. It is me. It is me. The big old Stevie Steve, Steve Casanova here kicking it with you on a Sunday afternoon. How's it going? How y'all doing? How you feeling out there? I am here live with, can you see, can you see, can you see the heel and face podcast brought to you by heel turn wrestling. So maybe I should point to my logo first and then the company logo. Either way, I am here to bring you news and information going on in the world of professional wrestling, the sport that we all love. And I know you love it too. How's it going, everybody? It's uh, it's nice to be here. By the way, shout out. Happy Mother's Day out there to all of you mothers and some of you mother truckers who are out there doing big things. In all seriousness, no, happy, uh, happy Mother's Day. And uh, God bless you and what you're doing. Uh, uh, you know, whether you're a mother with a family, single mother, um, grandmother, favorite auntie, most importantly, uh, you know, moms who've been there with you from thick and thin, from every stupid idea you've had, like jumping off the roof, like your favorite professional wrestler to, I don't know, uh, dating somebody that probably uh, wasn't the best person for you in your relationship to who knows what, to making you your favorite food when you were sick, hopefully not with COVID, but other things. So anyway, just saying shout out to moms out there. And for someone who lost his mom, me, uh, at quite a young age, I really appreciate the work that all moms are doing everywhere. So good on you. Happy Mother's Day. And I hope that um, you took your mom to do something today uh, before watching me and not after or listening to me and not after. And so love you, mom. Hashtag Happy Mother's Day. So, but you can listen to me anywhere and everywhere. You know how it is. You saw the card before the podcast started. You saw the graphic. I'm on way tons of different social medias because I'm trying to conquer the world, Daddy, with one social media outlet at a time. And of course, I'm on here on Facebook, five o'clock every Sunday. You can also catch the show on Minds. You can catch the show on locals, at least parts of the show, because right now locals, uh, depending on how much money you want to pay, um, Dave Rubin, you can only upload certain uh, bytes of work. So uh, I will be, however, posting the rant I'm about to go into today. So speaking of women and speaking of moms and whatnot, I'm going to go on a rant and be prepared for that. Plus, we're going to talk NXT and we're going to talk AW Blood and Guts. And unfortunately, I did not get the chance to catch MLW. I know there is major news that broke out of MLW in this last week, uh, major happenings going on. And I'm not going to spoil it. I know many of you have already seen it by now, but I'm going to go and I'm going to take the time to review it myself. Maybe I'll just do a back-to-back MLW uh, review, just two separate uh, reviews of Fusion. Or if I'm bored, I'll uh, post a secret podcast on my streaming services that's right not only can you watch me and follow the show on all my social media outlets but you can also follow the show on your favorite audio streaming services i believe that's anchor spotify uh itunes anywhere you like to go so catch me outside how about that and while you're at it go ahead and do what the crawl says that's right not only join me, but join 
the whole heel turn wrestling family on Facebook at HT Wrestling 316. HT Wrestling 316. I've been telling you we're going to get over 100,000 likes and subscribers by the end of the year. But the geniuses in the basement of the heel turn wrestling building overlooking Stanford, Connecticut, or wherever we are have predicted that we're going to be at 100,000 way before the end of the year. So that means different things. Of course, it means different things to Facebook as far as uh, them helping us spread even better. So who knows? But again, catch Heel Turn Wrestling at HT Wrestling 316 on Facebook. That's HT Wrestling 316 on Facebook. You can also catch all the other really cool shows that we have. Um, like uh, Pierce Austin, he's got about three different shows. And they're all great. Uh, I caught a little bit of uh, a new podcaster, the self-proclaimed podcast wrestling podcast rookie of the year, Alan Funk, also known as Kiwi, who, by the way, I just found out was also a huge Buckeye fan. And that's kind of cool. Uh, seeing as though I am one too, O-H-I-O, go Bucks. Uh, he was actually interviewing uh, the demon, Dale Torberg, another uh, link to me because I'm a huge Kiss fan. You've probably seen me wear Kiss t-shirts on the show before. So that's uh, that's happening. That was kind of interesting and in how that all talked out. And they talked about, you know, the ending days of WCW and what their perspective was. And it's pretty cool. You should check that out. Uh, you should also check out Pierce's other shows like Killing the Business with uh, Kingpin Angel from ECW days. And, of course, Shooting the S, where he interviews everyone basically on the Australian uh, wrestling scene, including and most especially hardcore wrestlers. So check out all of his shows. You can check out. Billy Alexander, the franchise takes five and behind the mic. And as right now, as we speak, as we speak, shout out to Billy Alexander, the uh, booker, the pencil, the promoter extraordinaire. He took a faction with him down to Mississippi. I'm not sure 100% where, but down to Mississippi or Missouri, one of the two. Sorry, I botched that. To uh, have a huge event for wrestling for the cure. He promotes a great event every year, uh, wrestling to uh, help uh, in cancer research. So God bless him in his efforts. And he partnered up. He found another promoter down south that was willing to exchange talent and raise money for a great cause. So he's down there killing it right now. And a shout out to him, too. But you can catch both of his shows. Of course, to the turnbuckle is going to be back. And they're going to be loaded for bear because... Uh, the bruiser, the bruisinator himself, uh, Jason McCarthy, went down and physically himself attended Blood and Guts, and that should be fun. So that's going to be really fun on a lot of different levels to hear what he has to say. So the turnbuckle will be back on Tuesdays. And, of course, don't forget this show. That's right. The Heel and Face Podcast, 5 o'clock every Sunday. Well, And, of course, you don't want to not help us rep our brand. I mean, you know, you're going to look kind of dumb if you're the one that's not repping the brand when we're like at 300,000 at 500,000 likes. And what you want to do is you want to go to our pro wrestling T-shirt, heel turn wrestling yourself. And you can find all of our stuff. You can find Billy Alexander's T-shirt. You could find alcoholic Adams T-shirt. Of course you can rep the logo itself. And if I might say so myself, find the flyest, most handsome, most swagged out T-shirt on the entire store, the Heel and Face Podcast T-shirt. Um, clearly, uh, your friends are doing it, and it'll make you feel good. I mean, who doesn't want to be this swagged out? 
right? I mean, you'll be the envy of all your friends. You're going to need to rep it at all the shows you go to and all the shows you attend. So good on you for doing all that. Now that that's all out of the way, let's uh, get to a little bit of news, shall we? Actually, it's a lot of news because, like I said, it's going to be a pretty big rant. And, um, you know, I might not, I might even break halfway through the news just to uh, keep the show, like, balanced or whatever. But this is the story that just continues to not go away. And as I said, speaking of women and speaking of moms, former WWE superstar Mickey James admits she pitched an all-women's brand and was told by a WWE official that women's wrestling doesn't draw. And I would honestly like to know who this is. And I even tweeted, and I know I've probably been blocked because of it, but I tweeted Stephanie McMahon an honest question, and I understand that, she, of course, she's not going to answer my question. I don't think I'm that arrogant enough, or I'm not one of those people that needs to be heard on the internet. But I did tweet her an honest question, and I basically asked her, how can you in good conscience with how much you as the WWE are pushing for women's equality and and you're backing girls and you're involved with be a star and with girl up and with all of these charities that promote uh, positivity in, in women and positivity in girls in athletics and whatnot and not have a women's brand at this point it's ridiculous it's ludicrous it's insane and it just doesn't make sense especially since they have an entire network not well they had one and of course they gave it up they gave it up to Peacock, but even with the NBC Universal's unlimited resources and the fact that they basically just wrote a check for Vince McMahon for what, $8 million, $8 billion, something like that, there's no reason why there should not be a women's only, at least pay-per-view, even its own show, okay? Do it once a month. Do it. Make it a special thing. Make it a special event. Do it twice a year. Do it during uh, – have have the May Young Classic finals and three or four storylines. That's an hour. And then also do it again during Women's History Month in March. Maybe that's what you do. Maybe have it every four months. Have the May Young Classic in March during Women's Month. At the end of Women's Month, or I know it's very close to the beginning of WrestleMania, hell, put the finals for the Mae Young Classic on WrestleMania weekend. Have it be the dark match, or have it be the curtain jerker of night one of WrestleMania. Whatever you have to do, do it more. And then when Mother's Day comes around, have Women's Evolution. And then... September, October, when you're looking for another pay-per-view to fill time, that you're just not just trying to throw it together. Do that as well. I don't get it. I don't get it. And then you can also coordinate it to having the women's Royal Rumble. I mean, it's not rocket science. And yet, we're led to believe that this is so hard and that women don't draw. Well, funny that that was mentioned because I've been reading the same groups that you have. I've been following along our uh, 
heel turn wrestling group that's more centered around like discussion, more like a pro wrestling group is. I've been reading, I've been reading what you guys have been saying on other groups. I've been hearing, I've been listening to other podcasts and other things that y'all have been putting out uh, on your uh, social media. You know, even though he'll turn wrestling, not about a Vaughn, I pay attention to what everybody else is saying. And what everybody else is saying is the same thing I'm saying, which is women draw if you book them to draw. That's it. Because wrestling is just that simple. We try to convolute it. We try to overanalyze it. We try to make it so sophisticated. And even people who don't like wrestling realize that wrestling doesn't have to be convoluted and sophisticated. You book it and people will be interested. And it's not just going by, and I'm not trying to damage her or anything, but or throw shade at her, but... You don't just have to build it all constantly around Charlotte Flair. If you build it with the other interesting stars that you have, you will get draws. You will get eyes. That old mentality of, well, we have to get people to watch the pay-per-view. I mean, there are countless shows that are being produced for some of these network streaming services that no one's ever heard of. But you know that there is a uh, show with Ed Helms on Peacock TV. That's like a Peacock TV exclusive from the writers and some of the producers of Parks and Rec. It's supposed to be pretty funny. Do you know why you know about it? Because I know about it. And you know how I know about it? Because it's promoted on my Facebook and Twitter feeds ad nauseum. And if the WWE took the same amount of care and the same amount of attention to detail in promoting Women's wrestling, just like Peacock TV promotes a web series based solely for their network by people who've run successful shows on the broadcast network, then there should be no reason and no excuse as to why the general public or women's wrestling fans, or wrestling fans in general, would have no idea that the WWE would be promoting women's evolution. So it's a total ball drop on WWE's part. And sadly enough, and I went after Stephanie McMahon specifically because, again, not that she's going to respond to me directly, but the simple fact is, is that you know she likes to put herself out there as the head of a uh, Fortune 500 company or one of the major heads of a uh, 500 Fortune company, you know, one of the only females in the world to be able to do that. And she prides herself on inclusivity and she prides herself on all of the other social justice markers that the WWE is currently starting to tick off. And she wants to put this out there that the WWE is a family and blah, blah. She's towing the party line just to keep her dad happy. But in the reality of the situation is, She's just another nameless, faceless, so to speak, corporate stooge, for lack of a better term. And she's not trying to rock the boat. She's not trying to piss her dad off. And she's not trying to piss investors off. And she's just willing to do all this just so she can have her status in the company and things go smoothly. If she was that committed to women and to girls and to empowering women, WWE would have already had a women's promotion a mini promotion inside uh, as some of my uh, friends and some of my former students like to have, like to say she already been done it. 
So now the question is, is the WWE completely disconnected from its fans about women's wrestling? Well, yes, they are. They're disconnected from their fans for a lot of reasons, a lot of things. And this is just one of them. This is one of them that's coming to a head. You know, they could be an industry leader. They can be someone who uh, says, you know what, we're changing things in this direction and not a self-proclaimed industry leader like some other champions in professional wrestling that we'll talk about later. But a legit industry leader in saying women's wrestling is good and it's just as important as the men's. And yes, the men's draw the eyes, but I feel like we have a good enough product with the females as well. They should be able to do that. They should be able to uh, to promote that proudly. And they should be able to have its own promotion with its own followers. And if nothing else, if nothing else, you know, just to have some other content to watch or to have available for people. Because I would be honest with you, and I'm going to get a little bit sidetracked here. I'm going to try not to in this rant. I'm going to get a little sidetracked here and say, you know what? I don't think I'm ever going to watch Raw again, at least not until it gets good. Yes, I know. I've been hearing RK Bro is funny and somebody got hit with Rotten Tomatoes and whatnot. But, you know, they continue to do dumb stuff like they've – it's bad enough they broke up the Hurt Business, but now they broke up Shelton and Cedric. So uh, I don't have time for that. And there's another awful surprise that just happened recently on Raw that I don't want to go over either uh, until uh, until late uh, later on in the podcast. But – Again, disconnected completely from the brand. And I don't understand why it can't happen. Now, I did have a discussion from with one of my friends who's a huge wrestling fan too. And um, we came to kind of uh, agree to disagree. I'm all for filling as much content as possible to make it available to everybody because we're living in an era where we can really decide what we want to watch and what we don't want to watch. And that's really coming true with network television, broadcast television, even going to movies. Everyone is seeing a dip in entertainment in choice of entertainment everywhere. And uh, the pandemic kind of exacerbated it, but still we see people choosing what they want to see. And honestly, me, the way raw is, I know I haven't watched SmackDown, but I heard it's getting really good or it's been consistently good for a long time, even though apparently on SmackDown they had a throwback episode with a really hilarious uh, uh, impersonation of Vince McMahon by Pat McAfee. But other than that, uh, Raw is completely unwatchable. But you know what? Main event apparently is really good. And NXT UK is really good. And 205 Live is okay. They're able to f focus on some of the guys that aren't making the uh, main roster for whatever reason. Now, if people are going to pay attention to WWE main event, and if people are going to pay attention to 205 and NXT and NXT UK, NXT is a different animal. It's elevated to broadcast television too. But NXT UK, even though there's reports that uh, the, it's, the ratings are sinking and blah, blah, blah. Um, it's still something different to watch and, and people like it and they like it way better than Raw. So putting another show on the network for people to consume is not a bad idea. It's never bad. And it's going to actually get me to want to keep my subscription for Peacock 
So this is why I'm advocating for a women's division. I'm advocating it and also in the same way that I'm advocating the WWE try to do something kind of like for the culture that GCW does. So if you're not familiar, uh, Game Changer Wrestling has every once in a while they do uh, shows where it's all African-American wrestlers or uh, a few Hispanic, Afro-Cuban, whatever wrestlers thrown in. But it's mostly predominantly African-American wrestlers, hence for the culture. And it's generally some of the more popular pro wrestling cards that GCW produces. And you see tons of huge stars on there. Uh, a lot of up-and-coming guys, like shout-out to my boy PB Smooth, uh, Calvin Tankman, um, Trey Lamar, Myron Reed. Um, I think before he was uh, the Adonis, uh, the Adonis was on there for a while. So, I mean, I would love to see WWE have an all-African-American or all-person-of-color show strictly for WWE. I'm not saying that I would religiously, appointment television-wise, watch it every week, but I think it's a great opportunity for people uh, that don't necessarily get one. Um, you know, you can't tell me, especially with that picture that everyone took during Black History Month and the WWE with everybody was all dressed up and, and looked amazing. You can't tell me that a uh, show booked by basically Jason Jordan, uh, Shelton Benjamin, uh, and a couple of other... Um, African-American uh, wrestlers and bookers, maybe the New Day, would run it, filled with uh, black and Hispanic athletes, would it be dope? I think it would be. I think it would be great. Now, my friend, getting back to him, uh, said, basically, uh, the idea is great, but you got to understand the WWE is a huge company. They're a huge corporation. They have to uh, make sure that their image is up and it looks pretty bad. And... You know, and unfortunately, uh, he did make a good point. He said, you know that as soon as they have a black-only uh, show, just like they would have an all-women's-only show or whatever, that some wrestling fans will be up in arms screaming discrimination because you're only putting this show on the network. You're not putting it on or you're you're basically resegregating by putting all your – African-American stars on a show that nobody watches instead of keeping in the main main events. So that is unfortunately the ugly world that we live in where you can't make anybody happy doing anything. So I guess it's not a great of idea as I thought it would be. I just don't understand why I can't have both. I don't understand why we can't have a uh, strictly people of color brand and still feature black and Hispanic wrestlers on Raw and SmackDown, just like they do now. And the same thing is true. I don't understand why they can't have an all women's show and at least two women only pay-per-views on the network a year and still feature them on Raw and SmackDown and NXT. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I just know that for people who seem to know what they're doing in the world of professional wrestling and television. And for people who claim to be smart and know what they're doing uh, and know how to run wrestling and, and, and cater to the fans, this looks like 
that they do not. So there you go. There is the rant. Sorry, I had to hit the dumb button for a second. There is the rant. This story that won't go away. The story that's always around us. The story that can be solved, in my opinion, very easily. And yet they refuse to do so. So, But good news. Great news. Fantastic news. I wish I could be more sarcastic than I already am news. Never fret. Don't worry. So you're mad that... Veteran wrestlers like Chelsea Green, Mickey James, and the Iconics were recently released by WWE. Well, fear not, true believer, as the great Stan Lee used to say, because that's all going to change. That's all going to be remedied by the return of, that's right, Eva Marie. The evolution returns as Eva Marie resigns to be with WWE as part of Raw. And if you thought that was depressing enough, letting all of those women go, just wait until we see Eva Marie in front of a live, raw audience. Good Lord. And, and okay, yes, I get it. This has been in the works for a while now. She was being negotiated into coming back to the WWE way before the three of those female, four of those female wrestlers got released. But, again, we talk about the WWB completely disconnected from its fans, from its fan base, from the idea of professional wrestling. And then you have this. This is proof. This is proof. Her last memorable moment in the WWE so far has been her, quote-unquote, wardrobe malfunction. This is a complete... Uh, whiff by a WWE. This is not just being tone deaf. This is being all of the senses completely gone. You know, my wife is still suffering from the effects of COVID. She's not able to smell certain things and she's still not able to eat certain things, mostly proteins like steaks, cheeseburger, peanut butter. Okay. The WWE is worse right now with their reading of what the fans want. I mean, it's all—it's almost a cliche now with the uh, Simpsons meme of Mr. Skinner saying, or Principal Skinner saying, no, it's the children who are wrong. You know, Mr. McMahon saying, no, it's the WWE fans who are wrong. This is a big mistake to rehire someone who wasn't good at wrestling anyway. And the last kind of holdover of the Laurenitis slash Dunn uh, Instagram model fetish fantasy that they both go through. And you would think, I don't know about Kevin Dunn. I heard he had a daughter or he has some children or whatever. I, I would assume that he has been married or is married at this point. I know John Laurinaitis has been married at least twice. So it's not like they've never been with women before, but I really, really have to wonder out loud people who are so especially in this day and age in 2021 those working in talent relations at WWE who are so obsessed about what a female wrestler looks like in a bikini or on her Instagram page that they are actually wrestling ability is someone that I have to call into question that 
continues to have some type of fetish. Look, do I appreciate when female wrestlers look good? Yes, I sure do. But if you can't get past your looks and actual wrestle, then I really don't want to have anything else to do with you. Then you're just one more valet. You're just one more pretty face. I mean, all of the, and I'm, yeah, I'm going to say it. and You can catch me on it. I don't care. I'm going to say that all of the women who wrestle currently in WWE are good looking. You know, of course, there's varying degrees and different facial features and different preferences. But I'm going to just go out on a limb and say all the, the women that work for WWE, all of the female wrestlers are good looking. That does not take away their ability in the ring because, of course, I'm going to get bored. If they're not good in the ring, I'm going to get bored as a fan because I'm there to watch wrestling. I'm not there to watch a beauty pageant. I'm not there to watch Miss America. I'm not there to, wa to look at Instagram because if that's what they want me to do, then I'll do that. But I'm there to watch women wrestle. And the women that wrestle at WWE are, as a whole, better than most places in the world, if not for Japan, obviously. But I'm not looking for Eva Marie to do anything because I don't care. Because I don't think that she's a good wrestler. Maybe she's learned a few things. Maybe she's gone to a couple of schools out there. Maybe she'd go to the Capitol Wrestling Center. Who knows? All I know is I think it is a great insult to all the women that were recently let go by the WWE to bring this talentless hack just because she's a good fitness model into WWE. And until Kevin Dunn finally retires and John Laronitis is nowhere to be seen in talent relations, we will continue to have practical Playboy Instagram OnlyFan models as female wrestlers and we won't actually have female wrestlers. So that's part of that there. It's so I don't know what else to say other than that. But good news. Good news, though, coming out of professional wrestling as far as the male side. And I don't know, I guess not necessarily good news, but it is something that we do need to discuss. And I think that uh, people are reading this the wrong way. Although I personally uh, have been wrong about this before, so what's to stop me from being wrong now? Recently, it was revealed on multiple sources that current WWE superstar Daniel Bryan's contract just completely ran out. And there wasn't really a lot of high-pressure renegotiation, but there also aren't any acrimonious feelings and it looks like there's a ton of speculation as to where Daniel Bryan will actually end up. And I find this laughable because really there's only two places for Daniel Bryan to end up and none of them have AEW in the acronym if you're uh, counting. So we know a lot of things. We know Daniel Bryan is pretty much at the end of his career we know that Daniel Bryan is a wrestling geek, that he just loves to wrestle. He doesn't care uh, for what it's worth and good on him. He was able to use the WWE for what it was, not only to prove that he at one time is the best in the world, but to also make the money that he deserves after being a wrestler for 15, 20 years, working in the bingo halls and the moose lodges and going over to Japan and 
suffering for his art and all that kind of stuff. So Daniel Bryan just let his contract run out. WWE just let the contract run out. This is closer to a gentleman's agreement than I think any other wrestlers ever had. I mean, they pretty much, according to the big show, told the big show that they're not going to use him. And he's just going to be either comedy guy or he's going to be ambassador or whatever. And I guess Big Show feels like he's got more years in him. I mean, that's all. Uh, he hasn't really done anything in AEW except to be the dark commentator. And, you know, nobody watches dark. So really, what is there left for Daniel Bryan? Now, of course, you guys have been speculating that he's going to go straight to AEW because that's what happens when a WWE wrestler gets released or let go or doesn't get their contract renewed, they run screaming uh, to Daly's place and they knock on the door and the big money mark pays them a huge amount of money. I don't think that's going to happen here. And I didn't say that for – I did say that for the big show. You're right. I did say that for the big show. But, but I'm not so sure that Daniel Bryan's in the same position or the same case as the big show. Here's why I think it's different. Sorry for that. Here's why I think it's different. Since Daniel Bryan has a lot of goodwill with the WWE, and since Daniel Bryan can still go in the ring, and he's still pretty useful when it comes to his talents, there's a lot more that he could do that could benefit WWE, especially with all of these uh, different promotions partnering together. Daniel Bryan is a lifer. If you gave me the three people from the Indies 20 years ago that signed with WWE that I thought was going to have the longest reign, the longest tenure in WWE, those three people were CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, and Colt Cabana. Out of the three people I thought that would definitely stay in the WWE for the rest of their career, I thought it was going to be Colt Cabana, let's be honest. It seems like Colt Cabana had the more tailor-made uh, uh, presence and wrestling ability and what they wanted in WWE. And it turns out he was the first one gone out of those three. So Daniel Bryan, the serious wrestler, the wrestler's wrestler, the wrestler that took the business seriously, the one who, who you know, who uh, was the one who, uh, you know, was too technical, uh, too boring, et cetera, et cetera, wouldn't last long. They just snatched him up off the indies to get buzz and were going to release him as soon as they could. And he's the one that's lasted the longest. I mean, even CM Punk had a pretty impressive couple of runs, and the Summer of Punk was great. But out of all three of those guys that I mentioned, can you believe that Daniel Bryan was the one most likely to succeed? And yet here we are. So Daniel Bryan has a lot of cachet with the WWE, but we also know that Daniel Bryan is a quirky dude, that he's a guy who kind of does his own thing. You know, surprise and shock to hear that a professional wrestler is an individual who is creative and talented and wants to do her his own thing. I know that's shocking to hear that, that wrestlers aren't just automatons that just go with the flow. So Daniel Bryan is interested in doing a ton of different things. And he's talked about going to AAA to wrestle Atlantis, even though Atlantis is almost as old as Vince McMahon. Uh, uh, he's talked about, you know, going to Japan. He's talking about doing a barnstorming tour uh, of uh, wrestling, you know, shows, doing spots and hot shots here and there for different independent companies. And he's also talked about wrestling other guys, uh, especially a lot of the Japanese wrestlers that are awesome right now, you know, talk about going to New Japan for one shots, a la Chris Jericho. 
and wrestling uh, Naito or wrestling uh, 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 shoot name escapes me Tanahashi that's right that would be cool so with the WWE's want to establish something in Japan and work on that and the WWE's want to start collaborating more just so they can stay with the market and whatnot. Why not give Daniel Bryan what he wants and pay him? Why not let him be a wrestling ambassador, okay? He can go over to do a tour in Europe. Hey, everybody, Daniel Bryan's tour of Europe. He can wrestle uh, the catch-as-catch-can catch wrestling styles of England and Germany. He can put some French guy they're looking at or some Italian guy they're looking at on the map. He could just do a barnstorming tour of Europe, wrestle at WXW, wrestle at ICW, wrestle at Progress, and then come back over. And then they can film it, documentize it. They could say Daniel Bryan abroad. I mean, again, I've got great ideas, but I'm also sitting in my basement talking professional wrestling. But if I was Vince McMahon, I would capitalize on this. I would say, look, we're going to do a doc we're going to do a wrestling documentary. We're going to call it Journeyman, the life of Brian Daniel Bryan or Brian Daniels. Who cares? You know, uh, they're doing A and E things. Might as well do one on A and E, right? Or co-produce it with A and E and WWE Films. Go around Europe. We'll pay you to wrestle at these different places. We'll give you. We'll book you in twenty-five dates. You keep the money. We'll documentize it. We'll we'll put the documentary on Peacock and A and E. Uh. Go do shots in uh, in Japan. Qualify for the G1. Fight in the G1. Uh, the possibilities are endless. You can pay Daniel Bryan to be the ambassador of WWE. And while he's over there, he and Kyrie Sane can talk about how they can improve the market to become uh, to, to, to have WWE NXT Japan. Who knows? Just buy out all Japan altogether and just make that the NXT. Maybe that's in the works anyway. How Daniel Bryan could be the ambassador to South America, the hugely growing wrestling markets. Wouldn't that be something if Daniel Bryan was sent on a working business trip to Chile, to Brazil, to Uruguay, Paraguay, Argentina, all of these wrestling spots in South America that are just exploding right now. How awesome would, have, would it be for him to be an ambassador to South America to try to, uh, you know, and you could say headlining Lima, Peru, Daniel Bryan versus the Peruvian champion. How awesome would that be? Ecuador. You could have Daniel Bryan be a world ambassador. You can give him what he wants. He can wrestle a bunch of people. He could be in big time wrestling events all over the world. He could be a big name. You can barnstorm him everywhere and he can do it on a part-time basis he can do it on a full-time basis he can say hey daniel bryan we are going to plan on doing a european tour in a year but before we go over there why don't you well we'll book you in about 20 different shows and you can spend a month over there and then when you're done with wrestling you can fly back home and you can spend the next three months four months at home with the family and while you're doing that, we'll fly over to Europe and we'll do WWE Europe tour. That's not a stupid idea. But again, what do I know? The only thing I do know is, unlike the big show who felt hugely disrespected, I think Daniel Bryan has enough cachet and he's got enough goodwill left where he can basically do whatever he wants for the company. And if he does sign a part-time contract, 
he can reap the benefits and have it be mutually exclusive and mutually beneficial between him and WWE. So I don't think he's going to AEW. If anything, if he does stay on as a full-time wrestler, he's going to NXT because, again, then he can wrestle Finn Balor, Johnny Gargano, Karrion Cross, uh, Kyle O'Reilly, Adam Cole. He can wrestle all those guys. He can end his career wrestling some of the best young professional wrestlers in the world in his backyard in WWE in Florida, and then he can just go off in the sunset. So there's a lot of speculation as to what might happen to Daniel Bryan. None of it has anything to do with AEW, so sorry, all you AEW marks out there. It's not happening. But you know what is happening? A really brief break, and when we come back, we will talk AEW, Blood and Guts. But speaking of NXT, we'll go hit NXT first. So stick with me. Give me about 10 seconds, and I'll be back. All right, well, welcome back to the second half of the show, the Heel and Face podcast brought to you by Heel Turn Wrestling. Uh, it's all good. It is me, your host, the big old CBC, rocking the Heel and Face podcast T-shirts. You want to go to prowrestlingtees.com backslash Heel Turn Wrestling to get the T-shirt. Not just my T-shirt, everybody's T-shirt. And while you're out there on the internets, you can follow Heel Turn Wrestling at HTWrestling316 on Facebook. Well... Let's get to it then, shall we? So, um, like I said, I am upset. I'm sad. I did not get a chance to watch the next episode of Fusion, MLW 131 Fusion, um, just for lots of different reasons. And I don't want to bore you with the reasons why I didn't watch it, but I will vow to you that next week will be strictly MLW Fusion 1 and 2 because I know a lot of news broke especially that uh what happened with uh uh selena uh de la renta and how she is no longer with mlw but let's get back to what i was saying about nxt and you know ratings bro right so the ironic thing and i did not mention it um, when it happened, when the news broke. But the ironic thing about the whole, quote-unquote, Wednesday Night War or the war that didn't happen was, in an ironic twist, TNT just brought bought out the rights for NHL hockey for next year. <laughs> so uh, AEW is going to have to move anyway if they're even on anymore. And after Blood and Guts, I don't know. That could be questionable. Well, anyway... Don't want to stooge off my results for uh, Blood and Guts, but let's get to NXT. So the ratings still were really high for Blood and Guts. I think they drew uh, 1 million. And if you're still trying to compare two different nights and two different wrestling fandoms, then okay, go ahead. That's that's what gets your Twitter handle likes and, and uh, retweets and whatnot. That's fine. All I know is, NXT continues to be the superior show between uh, the two, and this one killed it. Uh, right out of the box. Right out of the box. They killed it. First match for last week was uh, Isaiah Swerve, Scott, and Leon Ruff in a Falls Count Anywhere match. Like, this, this feud is really getting good. And I really want to see 
a faction of guys that were from Evolve help back up Leon Ruff. I don't like the fact that he's kind of out there on his own, and I'm kind of spoiling the end of the match, so let me go ahead and get to it. Um, I liked it. It was a lot of uh, unique action. Again, we're still using uh, the ring apron as a spot, and I really, I really hate it, but uh, they came out swinging at each other in the beginning, um, and they did a lot of high-impact stuff. Uh, they kind of botched a crucifix bomb. It was all right. Uh, there was a uh, reverse Hurricane Rana that – all things considered, Swerve Scott sold pretty well, bumped it pretty well, because there's really no other way other than to land straight on top of your head. And yeah, you can look and nitpick and say, oh, he put his hand up. He didn't even land anywhere near on top of his head. Well, again, if we're to believe that the inverted rod or poison rod or whatever you want to call it uh, is effective, then imagine, you know, again, selling it on the three inches of padding as opposed to the wrestling ring, but I diverse. Things got so heated, and it, they did a moderate job of selling, and by the way. Uh, they were still kind of indie-tastic, and they popped up a lot of a lot of each other's moves, but they are starting to learn now the WWE pacing of let the move breathe, and they didn't linger very long. Uh, Swerve pulled out a toolbox and just heated it at Leon Ruff. I thought it was going to kill him. Uh, and just things went back and forth brutal. There was a JML driver on the uh, outside. Uh, so they, it was pretty hard hitting and they're pretty serious. And I do like the buildup at the fire of Leon Ruff. And I really like to think that they're going to overlook his size because he's got everything else. Uh, and he's amazing. And I don't want him just to be re like regulated to a five live. I really want Leon Ruff to be a major player in NXT. So that was happening. And then all of a sudden, a guy who's been featured on the bump and he's been featured different places, a guy that uh, came into the Performance Center after ending his NFL career, AJ Francis, came out. And as Leon Ruff was about to dive onto uh, Swerve Scott, uh, AJ Francis catches Leon Ruff in the middle of nowhere and hits him with the rolling uh, neckbreaker onto the guardrail so of course it's false count anywhere and anything can happen um then uh shenanigans ensued and as you would have it the uh swerve scott put the jml driver onto leon ruff for the one two three and not only did aj francis show up but ashante the adonis and also another performance center recruit uh brianna brandy showed up and now they are part of Swerve Scott's crew. So they were very influential in helping uh, Swerve with the victory, especially with the move from AJ Francis. Uh, looks like all of those guys are ready for NXT, and they've got their own little faction working. And uh, Swerve Scott laughed about it, and he said something effective that uh, he knew he was one step ahead. He should have told you. Uh, he told you I, I told you I wasn't going to lose. Overall, pretty hard-hitting match and something that continue in the future. And I really hope, again, that they find a, a posse or somebody to help out Leon Ruff. Just so Swerve doesn't run roughshod over NXT. Next, uh, we have a bounce-back match for Cameron Grimes against Asher Hale. And 
you know, it was it was a nice match. Asher Hale, another guy that was kind of folded in from Evolve, who people really like. He's a good martial art background. He's good at submissions, and he's really athletic, and people like him. I didn't see a whole lot too much from him, of course, because Cameron Grimes won. He went over. He um, This is the rebound win for him. Because he's taken L's lately and they want to build him as like the goofy, cocky heel. And they need some cheap wins for him to build back up. Uh, but it was a really good match. Uh, Hale showed a lot of fire. He showed a lot of grit. The, the things he got off, the offense he got off on Grimes was good. Grimes is good at selling. So, hey, it's just Grimes' character right now is killing it. This is probably the best work that he's done character-wise as a pro wrestler. So you've got that mixed with Grimes' ability. He'll be back. There, he's going to like flounder for a while. I don't want to say that flounder because flounder's pejorative. Cameron Grimes is going to be around for a while, figuring out what to do, and then they'll end up eventually doing something with him, being giving him somebody, probably Kyle O'Reilly, somebody that he could really have a feud with. And then he'll come back to Earth and maybe challenge for the North American belt or whatever. So Grimes is a good guy to have around, and he got the win to kind of redefine himself as somebody important. They didn't just let him. It's not like Raw or SmackDown where they just let a guy who supposedly is a threat end up jobbing out to the point where he's basically seen backstage drinking coffee. And the funny thing about this too is the unexpected appearance of another wealthy wrestler, Ted DiBiase, who I thought the WWE want to distance themselves with seeing as though Ted's uh, current legal troubles being as it were with him and his son and embezzling money from the camp. But apparently Ted's cleared of all wrongdoing because he showed up on NXT in a funny vignette uh, so to explain what's going on, Grimes is flaunting his wealth from Donkey Coin and NFTs and investing well. So he's now rich. And he doesn't need the money. He just likes to wrestle. Well, Grimes had rented out an entire theater just for himself, a club just for himself. But he found out that someone rented it ahead of him so that he wasn't allowed in the door. Turns out that the person who rented the entire club out is none other than the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. So that was fun. And now it's just, just to see Cameron Grimes, at another level of getting frustrated at something is pretty hilarious. Next match, uh, I thought was weird and fun at the same time. Uh, this was, uh, uh, Tommy and Timmy versus the grizzled young veterans who I really think, are destined for another push and another shot at the NXT Tag Championships against two guys who just enjoy beating each other up. The enemy of my enemy is my friend, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, yada, yada, yada. Champa and Thatcher are teammates now. So this made for a really good match. It was a hard-hitting match, obviously. Uh, although, this is a weird dynamic where you have the serious wrestler doing comedy. So Timothy Thatcher... Uh, is continuing with the shoes off if you hate Zach Gibson chance because the WWE is very good at the meme, hello, fellow children. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Steve Buscemi dressing up as a skateboarder, narc amongst teenagers. You know, hey, fellow children. I don't know if it was a Saturday Night Live skit or not, but uh, you get the point. So WWE is good at trying to co-opt cool things and one of the things that NXT 
UK and actually before, even before he got there, Reason Progress was uh, fans like to chant uh, "Shoe off if you hate Zach Gibson." I'm not even going to attempt to sing it because I don't even know how the melody goes. I just know that is a wacky thing that you awesome British fans love to do. So they tried WWE to kind of co-opt it and bring it to NXT. Of course, bringing a chant that no one knows to a crowd that's not there is not the best idea. But it led to Tommy uh, uh, Timothy Thatcher whacking Zach Gibson with his own with uh, with uh, 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 Wade Barrett's shoe. Uh, the match went everywhere. It was uh, really fun. Uh, it looked like uh, they almost killed uh, uh, James Drake uh, for a minute there. Um, I just like the hard-hitting nature of the match. It was good, but it's just the continuation of the feud, hopefully, that they continue with. And uh, hopefully this will help elevate the GYV to uh, tag status. Speaking of guys getting elevated, next segment was Karrion Cross basically beset on all sides by wicked men, including Pete Dunne. Uh, we know that uh, Kyle O'Reilly came in and challenged Karrion Cross. Karrion Cross basically said, yeah, I have a target on my back. Uh, then, of course, Pete Dunne comes out and interrupts Kyle O'Reilly and Karrion Cross. And then Finn Balor comes out and interrupts everybody, basically saying, I beat you and I beat you twice. So I don't know why you're standing up here, bowed up. I am the head of the line and I'm taking my belt back or something to that effect. And, no carry across for all it's worth. Basically said, come on, bring it one, come one, come all. I am not a fan of Kieran Cross as a face, but they don't have any choice at this point. At this point, there's nothing left for him to do. I guess he's going to be a tweener. Uh, so good for him, good on him. And of course, the whole entire match uh, devolved into chaos, which led to uh, the way Johnny Gargano and Austin Theory ambushing and beating up Karrion Cross from behind. Earlier in the night, uh, General Manager William Regal said that Austin Theory would be facing Karrion Cross in the main event of NXT for next week. So that ought to be a sad beatdown. That's going to involve uh, the way and whatnot. It's going to be weird. It's going to be creepy. It's going to be sad. But you're going to see some type of interference uh, but be that as it may Austin Theory and Johnny Gargano were able to lay Karrion Cross out in the middle of the ring now here is something interesting that's developing so not only do you have pretty good promos from uh, the champ uh, Raquel Gonzalez and Mercedes Martinez uh, getting heat for each other I really thought Martinez did a nice job kind of saying wait a minute all of the things that you got to accomplish, you accomplished because of me. So I like that. That was good. Uh, they kind of lost their way in the interview. It's hard to do it back and forth like that. They were literally obviously sitting on the opposite side of the room with different lighting. But you can tell, like, uh, they still try to put some thought into their promo. Tony Storm came out and basically, uh, grr, I hate you, Zoe Stark. So that's going to happen. Again, by the way, everything that's going on in NXT right now is still not convincing me that they don't need a women's division but uh, or a women's only show. But again. I digress. Um, somebody I didn't realize, and they do this all the time, which is smart. Not everybody has to have a big production, right? Saray is a big deal, so she needs a big production. You know, the other women that came out, like Tony Storm or whatnot, they need a big production. But then there's some wrestlers who don't need a huge production. Zoe Sky kind of got backed into her uh, introduction to WWE NXT, and so did this newcomer, Zayda Ramir. Now, yeah, I guess she's been in the uh, Performance Center for a while, but 
she's really freaking good. And uh, she almost overshadowed Saray. And yes, Saray's had two matches, three matches since she debuted a couple weeks ago. Saray is the real deal. She looks like an actual professional wrestler. But for every Saray, there's a Zeta Ramir who kind of just shows up like, hey, I'm here to prove myself. Uh, Ramir had a great match against Zoe Sky and Zoe Sky won. And now she takes on Saray. So she takes on the two big names, you know, that, that came in. And Zoe Sky didn't need a win. Yes, Zoe Sky needed a win. Uh, kind of like in the same way that Cameron Grimes win. She just can't be losing every week before, because then people start to lose interest, start to care. And out of all three brands, uh, NXT does the best job at managing that. Uh, this was a hard-hitting bout. Uh, there were a couple times there was some misconnection. There was some miscommunication. They didn't know what to do with each other. Uh, but uh, that panned out because uh, the veteran, uh, Saray, took over. And uh, the only thing is, uh, this was a little better ending than last time. Uh, this was an exploder suplex into a, into a pin. So uh, that wasn't bad. Uh, Saray is awesome. And then there was this backstage uh, where... Uh, Zoraya and uh, Zeta had a really nice exchange. She thanked her, congratulated her for the match. Zeta, you know, gave her a handshake back, and uh, Tony Storm was rampaging in the back. And then Zoe Sky cut her off. I'm sorry, Zoe Stark cut her off. So some interesting things: some life being injected into an already exciting women's division, the, arguably the best women's division in. The entire world, other than Shimmer and Shine. Uh, next match, I feel badly for Jake Atlas. I don't think he's being used well. I don't think they really know what to do with him. But uh, right now, he's kind of fodder, and uh, he uh, fought LA Knight. And again, LA Knight's a star. LA Knight came back to the WWE with a purpose to be a huge star. And he is. He's got everything. There's nothing wrong with LA Knight's game. Uh, so we'll see big things. Uh Maybe his absence made the heart grow fonder, but I really don't ever remember seeing a lot of the high-flying offense that uh, he's had in the past. I don't remember his flying shoulder blocks. I don't remember a lot of the offense that L.A. Knight put forth in the match, but the match was solid. It was it was pretty good. Uh, Jake Atlas had a little bit of fire. You know, Of course, he's supposed to be playing the, the baby face because L.A. Knight's the heel. Uh, L.A. Knight had a couple of submissions and a couple of chain wrestling moves that I thought were interesting to keep pace with Jake Atlas, but it wasn't meant to be for Jake Atlas. Uh he got hit with the BFT, uh, which only athletic guys can sell, unless you're really good at selling, because they needed to have changed the uh, camera angle because it looked like his head never hit the mat. Uh, not that I want a grown man to drive another grown man's head through the mat, but you know, it's kind of like which it is. It's a Stoichi driver, right? It's it's the headlock driver. Uh, it was more like a cravat, more like an overhead, like a stunner type driver. Um, you need to be athletic and you need to really get it right, unfortunately, to make it look awesome. And I'm sure that, that LA Knight will work on his game and people will work on it. So, uh, it was an okay match, uh, shows why LA Knight is a star and they're going to bank a lot on him. Speaking of stars backstage with Walter who was very unhappy with, uh, Imperium and their efforts lately. And, uh, they're going to turn it around. Uh, even uh, a little upset about the whole incident with uh, uh, Killian Dane and why he did, why uh, Alexander Wolf didn't hit Killian Dane in the back. Maybe a callback to Sanity. Who knows? I would forget Sanity completely, as if it never even happened. But what do I know? Um, there's also a there's also a vignette for Diamond Mine. 
no one knows 100% who or what Diamond Mine is, but uh, there's a lot of speculation that it's going to be uh, Tess Blanchard and Daga. Tess Blanchard has not officially signed with anybody. I think it would be a mistake to bring someone as dour and uh, hard to work with as Tessa Blanchard is uh, into a women's locker room that already is stacked with uh, talent who enjoy each other and enjoy working together. So I don't know if you would bring her in. Uh, a lot of that is shot down because she's still, I guess, uh, in talks with others, not just WWE. Uh, I know AEW talks fell through with her apparently. So it's yet to be seen. Who Di and Diamond Mine could be somebody completely off the radar who we weren't even thinking about. Uh, it could be a tag team. Who knows? Uh, all we know is Dynamite or Dynamite. Uh, Diamond Mine is coming to uh, NXT, and they're going to plan to outwork the competition. Uh, exchange between Santos Escobar and Kushida. Kushida threw out the challenge of uh, the cruiserweight belt in uh, next week. And uh, Legado del Fantasma made sure that they are also uh, being heard by MSK and they are going to officially challenge MSK for the tag belts, which I'm all for that. I'll watch that every day and twice on Sunday. So let's go with that. Speaking of tag teams and saddest point of the night was, I mean, sad, but also happy to, but I'll call it, of course, the best spot. And of course, more proof that the women's division in uh, NXT is the best in the world. There was a tag team championship match. The, NXT women's tag belts were on the line in a street fight between The Way and Blackheart and Ember Moon. Um, a lot of it was kind of sloppy, but a lot of it was put well together, so it was like balanced out. I really couldn't say it was terrible, but I really couldn't say it was great. The 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 match started hot and heavy, like right out the box. Kids were throwing each other everywhere. It was paid delirium. Shotzi and Ember Moon are great together. They have so much good chemistry together. They've got about three or four different double team moves that are awesome. Uh, they did uh, the double uh, trash can uh, spot on Indy Hartwell, uh, the dropkick one. That's great. Um, it was really entertaining. It was a lot of fun to watch. I was really psyched to, to watch it because, you know, they let them go. And uh, th there were some painful moments. Shotzi threw... The ladder through Candice was pretty painful, but the best spot of the night, the best spot of the entire night. I mean, are you kidding me? It's all over WWE. It's all over their social media. Look it up. Indy Hartwell with a springboard elbow drop onto Ember Moon through a table. Indy Hartwell is amazing. She is incredible. She's so talented. Uh, I know she's doing the silly, goofy, the way thing. You know, eventually they're going to break that up. I know that she's doing the cute little love triangle with Sam Shaw. Uh, earlier in the show, Sam was – I'm sorry, not Sam Shaw. Oh, my gosh. My Alzheimer's is kicking in. Uh, Dexter Loomis. Or Dexter Loomis was uh, creeping in the uh, closet and turned on the light in the closet. There he was standing with flowers. Oh, how romantic. I mean, every girl wants to see their favorite stalker in, a, in the women's locker room closet holding flowers, right? That's what women like, I guess. So it was really cute, and uh, Indy didn't notice it. <laughs> Candace went over and shut the blinds. I thought that was pretty good. Uh, you know what? Again, if you're going to do comedy wrestling, the best ones at it are WWE. They know what they're doing. So uh, the match itself, again, uh, just hellacious. 
uh, really, really fun. Uh, the tables were destroyed. Uh, Shotzi did a uh, uh, splash off of, I think, off of the ladder uh, onto Candace on through the announce table. It was uh, crazy. It was insane. But again, I have to. The one thing that stands out to me again: Indy Hartwell springboard uh, elbow drop on the table, and that wasn't even the winner. Like Candace LeRae putting uh, Shotzi in the uh, Wicked Stepsister onto. A chair that was the win one two three and new women's tag team champions the way so uh i thought it was a really good match I, it's just more proof that nxt is killing it and nxt is the premier brand right now of wwe um raw is the money generator although i can't see how raw could be the money generator after all this time after how crappy they've been i mean WWE Raw is like investing in a IRA, which I'm finding out. It just sits there. Yes, it makes money. It makes money over time because it's been there the longest. But it's not like you're going to be buying a yacht or even have Cameron Grimes money after a year of investing in an IRA. Same thing with WWE Raw. Raw is there. Raw is to generate the ad revenue for WWE and for USA Network. But Raw is not going to get better. It's not going to have ratings because it's being written terribly. NXT is clearly the most coherent, the most consistent, the best all-around show in WWE right now. And it's close, apparently, to SmackDown. SmackDown is second highest. I think there's a lot of other smarter people that have their finger in the pie on SmackDown on Fox. But, uh, yeah, uh, NXT is the best brand that WWE has right now. And there's a lots of reasons that point to why it is. And we're going to go then right from, as I take a quick drink of my non-sponsored energy drink, we're going to go right to its supposed direct competition. That's right. AEW. Um, I don't know what to tell you. Well, let me say this. Okay, so let me let me let me say this. I know I have given up on AEW. I've told you guys that before. I don't hate AEW because I'm a WWE fan. I know there's a lot of that too. Oh, you're just hating on it. You're, hate, 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 hate. you're just hating on it because you're a WWE guy. Well, actually, if 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 the WWE had to go away and never existed anymore, I would be just as happy watching. MLW, and I would be just as happy watching New Japan and other places instead of uh, AEW. It's not the alternative for me, trust me. But I will say this. Blood and Guts, I gave another shot because some of it looked intriguing. Plus, I wanted to know how they were going to pull this off. And let me say... It wasn't as bad as I anticipated it. Again, let me tell you, it was not as bad as I anticipated it was going to be. And I'm really interested in hearing all of the other guys on Heel Turn Wrestling's network talk about their impressions of Blood and Guts. Because honestly, you know, I don't I'm I'm going to be truthful. I'm not gonna sit here and just say everything about it was bad. Half of Blood and Guts was bad, and the ending was really stupid. 
but the match itself, like the Blood and Guts match up until the pinnacle, pardon the pun, uh, was bad. Well, a lot of it I also fast-forwarded, including what Don Callis was talking. Uh, so I really didn't catch a lot of it. And of course, how many times can you use the excuse of the champ couldn't be here tonight and then the champ end up ambushing? I mean, again, is this part of Kenny Omega's art of bamboozling the fans? I don't know. I don't care, but we need to move on. Uh, it's supposed to be a tag match between uh, the belt collector and uh, Nakazawa versus Moxley and Kingston for some reason. I don't know. Uh, as you could imagine, there was a lot of BS in the beginning and Nakazawa was like, I'm not ready to wrestle. So Nakazawa basically wrestled in an AEW uh, polo shirt, uh, uh, skinny jeans, and Sperry's. So there you go. I've seen what Sperry's look like up close. I know somebody who has a pair of Kate Sperry male Kate Sperry shoes, and they are not that athletic. Um, now, here's the other dumb thing. Tony Schiavone said over the headset that he saw uh, Kenny Omega walking around backstage so Don Callis is lying. Why would you mention that thing? If nothing else, at least... Oh, I, don't, I don't even know anymore. Forget it. Uh there's no answer for uh, complete absurdity. And sure enough, as Moxley and Kingston made their quote-unquote entrance because they do the shield entrance because apparently John Moxley stuck in how to enter the ring. So they both came out from the uh, crow's nest or whatever. And as they started jawjacking with Callus and Nakazawa from the ring, guess who blindsides them with the belt from behind? That's right, Kenny Omega. So that's how the match starts. In utter chaos. And uh, nobody, nobody locks up anymore, especially in AEW. Why would we? Uh, they've eventually, and by the way, guys, street smart, street wise, tough guys like Eddie Kingston and John Moxley, guys who are supposed to know what's up, getting attacked from behind from a guy who's never won a street fight or never been in a street fight in his life. That should tell you something about how things are being booked. Now, again, uh, Kenny Omega's athleticism shown through. He hit uh, the Kataro Crusher on uh, Eddie Kingston. And, uh, you know, at 30, in the mid-30s, still being able to leap that high is pretty impressive. I don't care who you are. And that's not the issue that I have with Kenny Omega, by the way. His athleticism is uh, is, is not my uh, biggest criticism of him. Um, so, basically, at some point, Nakazawa was the jabroni, of course, because he is a jabroni. Uh, you know, he's just basically he's just Kenny Omega's best friend and is used in a jabroni role. And Mox and Omega or Mox and Kingston got their hands on him. It was a two on one situation. And uh, basically they were like, come on, get him, come get him. And uh, Kenny Omega basically just left uh, Nakazawa um, uh, on his own to, to suffer. Uh, they then double team Nakazawa and then just uh, gave him a half and half suplex and one, two, three. So if that wasn't enough, I guess this was part of the plan because then here come the AEW tag champions, the Young Bucks, uh, who are styling and profiling, wearing the ridiculous, obnoxious, uh, over the top, cool kid heel wear, like. Uh, I think Matt might have actually been wearing a jumper, floral print jumper, whatever. 
And as they were out there to talk to Moxley and, and uh, Kingston, who apparently are also number one contenders for the belt or whatever, here, I don't know where come the good brothers to come in with the beatdown. So basically it was a four-on-two beatdown. Uh, and then Omega comes back out to hit the one-wing angel on Kingston because especially before his match with Yuji Nagata next week, Moxley can't look like a punk. And so there we go. Uh, Kenny Omega getting heat by proxy because he can't draw it on his own because he's not interesting enough of his own. Uh, he's got to get that proxy heat of all the other bad guys beating up the good guys and then he gets the final shot in to prove how cool and awesome and people love him. Uh, Double or Nothing is May 30th. They had a promo and their first match is going to be a championship match between uh, Hirakushita and uh, Britt Baker DMD. I hope she finally wins. Move on. Uh, Cody Rhodes versus QT Marshall was next. Again, another just paint by numbers, really don't care. Uh, QT Marshall is no, wasn't really going to be anybody in Ring of Honor. He certainly isn't now. Um, had appearances from the quote-unquote factory, uh, including this Anthony Ogogo guy that apparently they uh, like a whole lot. Uh, so it was a grudge match. Uh, I was really finding a hard time getting interested, honestly, in this match. Fast forward a lot of it. Um, I know there were a lot of callbacks to uh, the feud that's been building up between the two of them. Uh, Marshall went outside and tried to mix it up with Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson uh, 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 punched Marshall, grabbed him, and started doing old school heel tactics uh, by rubbing his face up against the ring post. Uh, now, of course, that was trying. To, that was an attempt to get color on QT Marshall, who ended up getting a little bit. Cody Rhodes, of course, not to be outdone, got most color himself. Um, just again, who cares about this match? They even, I mean, I understand that there's a lot of throwbacks and there's a, and Cody really does respect the ancient traditions of professional wrestling. Yeah, I totally get that. What I think is really stupid is that uh, he, Cody does it to a fault. Cody does it uh, just to say that he can do it. Like it's, it's almost like it has to, I mean, the spots, for example, the uh, success, successive uh, attempts at the, uh, pile driver just kept they just kept walking back over over and over that's like an indie territory spot right that's a spot where you would only see it like in the nwa oh this guy's trying to get his move on him oh no he's right he reversed it he reversed it he reversed it um i mean cody rhodes wants to tell you that he's modernizing wrestling and he's also wrestling matches that look like they're from the 70s and 80s speaking of that he got color uh, you know, he bled because he couldn't be outdone by anything else going on. Certainly couldn't be outdone by QT Marshall. And of course, just like in the territory days, the way that you signify a huge feud is by everybody bleeds. And that's what happened. Uh, QT Marshall uh, 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 gave Cody a middle finger throughout the match because Cody was going to let him up and like, you know, leave on good terms. But instead, uh, he flipped Cody off, which enraged Cody enough to the point where Cody put uh, QT in the figure four to make him submit. I don't know why he would stop in the middle of the match just to give somebody the finger like that, but whatever. And as soon as that was done, the whole real reason to have this was to shine Cody up 
So he could have someone that they're looking at that they like face him, which is what Cody's done the whole time he's been involved in AEW is just be there to put other people over. And this is no exception. Anthony Ogogo comes out, hits him with this gut shot. They, they call the bolo shot. I don't know. They, I, I think Excalibur may have, may, might have mentioned that he's a former Golden Gloves winner or something. I don't know. But anyway, he came out and doing something that nobody cares about, which is draping Cody Rhodes with the Union Jack. So Anthony Ogogo, who clearly isn't 100% like descended from Anglo-Saxons, is punching Cody Rhodes and putting the Union Jack on him. Again, old school BS. It, it worked then. It doesn't work now. This whole foreigners are, are awful. I mean, you know, the Iron Sheik did that. Uh, the Russians did that. So now we're getting a British guy who's, again, not Anglo-Saxon British to do that. It just doesn't make any kind of sense. It's stupid, cheap heel heat that doesn't work for a modern audience. And yet Cody Rhodes is doing it, which is probably why uh, apparently Cody Rhodes is not speaking to the other members of the elite. So he's not even speaking to people that he works with and form the company with. Apparently things are very tense backstage as far as interactions. There's a lot of rumors going and speculation going as, as to who's not talking to who and why. Uh, it may have something to do with the direction of the company. Cody's probably not happy with the direction of how things are going, but of course he's outvoted in any decision. He hasn't been, if this is any indication, if you pay attention to this sort of thing, Cody has not been on being the elite in a little while. So, who knows if that's a thing. Uh, uh, next was a was kind of a fun um, interview backstage with uh, Scorpio Sky because he's gone full heel now. And uh, the next thing is uh, he's going to fight Sting. Uh, Scorpio Sky telling Sting that he's the franchise now. Bitch. Sorry, I cussed. I'm just quoting. And then uh, Ethan Page said so he was going well, except for that he said, Instead of listing our history and talking about matches that no one's ever seen, I'm going to talk about your medical history. And then he proceeds to talk about all the things that he did to Darby Allen in his medical history. So he basically did the same thing that he told us he didn't want to do. He didn't want to bore us with their story, uh, their feud on the indies. And yet by telling us all about his medical history, he bored us with stories about how he feuded with Darby Allen on the indies. So whatever. But, you know, that was kind of fun. Uh, Darby Allen came from out of nowhere and uh, attacked both guys. I was a little frightened. I thought that uh, Darby may at one point have almost thrown Ethan Page off of the balcony. That would have been bad. Uh, but uh, it all built up to a spot where Darby Allen was thrown down the flight of concrete stairs. And he stopped at the landing, so that was kind of anticlimactic. But again, the whole thing you're building about how dangerous Darby Allen is, and yet, uh, you know, it was an anticlimactic ending of Darby Allen because you knew it was going to happen. You knew at some point the stairs were going to come into play and he was going to get thrown down concrete stairs. Uh, uh, Britt was in a squash with Julia Hart and then she uh, hyped up uh, her shot with uh, uh, Sheeta coming up. Uh, segment with Taz, boring, fast forwarded through it. Uh, there was a match for uh, the number one contender between uh, SCU and Jurassic Express and the Varsity Blondes and the acclaimed uh, Max Caster's rap was pretty hilarious. 
uh, you know, cutting promos on everybody. Like in the, calling them the young cucks. Yeah, I said it. Pretty funny. Uh, uh, it was a little mean uh, against the Varsity Blondes. He said that uh, basically they're going to end up on the next episode of Dark Side of the Ring. That was a little mean, but it was what it was. It was still entertaining. Uh, nobody in this match was of that much interest to me for me to care which is why SCU is going to get their final shot. Probably probably the last shot they'll ever get at the AEW tag belts against uh, the Young Bucks next week on Dynamite. Um, terrible interview with Kenny Omega. Uh, he fumbled through his lines again. Uh, not interesting at all. Coming out with the belts, I know there was some controversy. People were talking about uh, Kenny Omega and uh, Nakazawa holding the Impact belts, uh, which Bubba Ray on uh, his show on Fight Nation came out and said that was pretty disrespectful and perception is reality and Impact's in trouble because they're going to let some goof uh, who barely gets airtime just because he's Kenny Omega's best friend hold their championship belts. What does that mean for them? I kind of agree, but I also agree that K. Omega not holding the belt also looks like uh, he doesn't think it's important. He thinks it's trash. So if the guy holding a belt thinks the belt is trash, why do we care about it? Uh, K. Omega spent most of the time talking about how Pac was a great uh, opponent, but uh, Tony Schiavone had to constantly remind that Orange Cassidy is also involved, and it's possible that he could face Orange Cassidy for the belt. I know where they're going with this. Uh, uh Kenny Omega talked about uh, that Orange Cassidy basically is ripping off Kenny Omega's super cool vibe. He said, the only thing championship material about you is something you ripped off from me. Uh, he then says, you'll never be as cool as me, uh, so you don't deserve these sunglasses. He took the sunglasses off of Orange Cassidy and put them on Nakazawa. Uh, and then he just goofs on... Uh, Orange Cassidy's gimmick about whatever, whatever. Uh, it's like the, the the kid who thinks he's cool but it's not cool, trying to be cool. And in a weird way, maybe he was just echoing the criticism, the people who hate Orange Cassidy. Uh, maybe he was just trying to get heat on himself for uh, agreeing with people who don't get what AEW is doing in wrestling. I don't know. Anyway, he is uh, – the one thing he needed to do – he didn't say it, but he kind of implied it in roundabout terms was he felt like he was better than Orange Cassidy and Orange Cassidy didn't deserve the shot at the belt. Um, we mired through one uh, promo in the back and we wade through another one as we come back and Tony Schiavone is uh, interviewing the best man, Miro. And despite the fact that Miro beat the crap out of Kip Sabian a couple weeks ago, he still considers Kip a best friend, blah, blah, blah. Darby Allen, I'm coming for you in the TNA title. And, uh, and, I, and he delivered some line about uh, the man who's dying uh, doesn't mind. You know, he doesn't mind fighting a man who doesn't, isn't afraid of dying because he's not afraid of killing him. I know I botched it, but whatever. And the only thing I could think of during this promo was too little, too late. Sorry, you should have made My uh, Miro a monster heel about four months, four or five months ago. But what do I know? I'm just a guy talking wrestling in my basement. Now, main event time. And I'm going to try because I'm going way over. But I'm going to try to put this all together. Um, this main event was not terrible. 
At least it didn't start that way. The Blood and Guts main event is the pinnacle. MJF, Wardlow, Sean Spears, Dax Harwood, and Cash Wheeler with Tully Blanchard versus the Inner Circle, Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, Santana, Ortiz, and Jake Hager. Uh, the match started really strong. Uh, you know, Sammy was super hyped to get in there. And you know what? I hate to say it, but Sammy's got that uh, weird, I guess it worked for Shawn Michaels. He's got that weird thing of he's actually better as a baby face with heel notes in his personality. I liked Sammy Guevara coming out and just taking it to Dax Harwood immediately. Like, boom, 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 boom. Because, again, the dynamic there is Dax gets the start because, as Tully Blanchard said, he's the most like Arn Anderson, so he's the guy who can go. And there's a lot of truth to that. That's what you want. The guy who's got the most stamina, the most win, can stop start the match and, and do a good job and hang on. And then there was Sammy Guevara, which is all over him, like white on rice. It was great. A uh, lot of fire, a lot of good babyface uh, actions coming out of Sammy Guevara, despite the fact that he's kind of a cocky guy. You were really rooting for him. Uh, weird 90s throwback, though, of uh, the good guys are dressed in black and the bad guys are dressed in white. I thought that was an interesting uh, dynamic. I guess it also showcases more blood that way if you're wearing all white, which if you took a look at uh, All Elite Wrestling's uh, Twitter, you could see, I think, Wardlow or somebody tweeted out their gear and it was basically soaked in blood. Um, uh, uh, Sammy came back with huge fire, but Dax caught him with a spine buster. And... Uh, um, you know, they, uh, Sammy sent uh, Dax uh, face first into the cage, and that's how he was busted open. They hit Harwood with a double springboard cutter. Uh, then you sent Sean Spears in. He was next. Came in with steel chair, completely waffled. Uh, Sammy, it was pretty, pretty gross again. You know, in the era of concussions and being careful with the stuff, again, he just basically launched a steel chair at Sammy Guevara. Um, Ortiz was next. I liked Ortiz and Santana. They were channeling the Gorillas of Destiny with their makeup. I thought that was cool. By the way, as an aside, the the, the prison gear that the Inner Circle were wearing, they were all uh, throwbacks to uh, detention centers near the, where they grow up. So that was kind of cool. Uh, I, I dug that part of it. Uh, uh, Ortiz came in. He just started whooping everybody. Uh there was action all over the place. Sammy hits a Spanish fly on Spears uh, after, like, they did they did an outside, inside, because both the rings were together. So they did an outside of the first ring into the second ring. That looked pretty good. Um, again, Cash Wheeler comes in, and they double-team Ortiz, hitting him with an assisted brain buster. Uh, Santana's next. Santana mowed everybody over. Uh a lot of good action, um, you know, guys that know what they're doing, doing their thing is always good. And I dare say, but all of the cage, the war games match, the cage matches that uh, FTR were in when they were involved with NXT definitely sharpened their iron for this match because they all look good. They all know what they were doing. There wasn't really a mistake to be had at all, fast paced. Then things started to gear down. And you would think with all the hype between Wardlow and Hager, when they finally got together, it was very uh, lackluster. It was kind of anticlimactic. Uh, they, they tried to do a gorilla punch out, and, and it looked really sloppy. 
Uh, Hager looked like he, you know, was, was, was not really on point with a lot of his shots. Uh, Wardlow recovered easily, even though I think he kind of botched an entrance or something like that. Uh, Wardlow came in and he recovered well. And, and basically he had to put Hager up against the, uh, the cage and start wailing on him that way. Uh, they, uh, they fought each other until MJF was in. Uh, he uh, distracted Hager long enough for Wardlow to chop lock him. Then, uh, you know, they just started beating up on Hager. It just bodies were everywhere. MJF is taunting Jericho. Um, so they worked over Hager and they worked over Ortiz and then the uh, entire crew descended upon Santana until uh, Chris Jericho came in, and now the real rules uh, kick in. Uh, it's either submission or surrender, as Jim Ross pointed out, no pinfalls. Uh, Jericho came in with Floyd and just started hitting people, you know, with the soft rubber baseball bats, the joke ones that you get at the carnival. Um, uh, Spears somehow tried to escape or try to go somewhere. I don't know what happened, but Jericho... Uh, guillotined him, choked him out on the lighting rig that was in the middle. Uh, FTR going back to their NXT days and exposing the ring floor. Uh, but uh, they got the the crab kicked out of them and uh, Proud and Powerful grabbed the both of them and hit double pile drivers on the exposed wood. So that backfired. That took them out. Then, of course, we had Appearance of Forky as Santana pulled a fork out and started uh, poking people, gouging MJF and others with it. Uh, Jericho uh, choked Wardlow with a baseball bat, which is not the first thing I would do with a baseball bat, but I've never been in a street fight either. Uh, Cash was bleeding all over the place. Ortiz was grinding his face into the ring. So basically, uh, it kind of ended the fracas in the middle with the pinnacle being laid out and... Uh, Jericho giving uh, MJF a straight shot to the forehead, knocking him out. A uh, vicious shot, a chair shot from uh, Ortiz onto Wardlow. They worked over Wardlow pretty well. There was kind of a, a botch where uh, uh, Hager, I think, was supposed to pick Wardlow up or Wardlow was supposed to pick Hager up, and it just ended up in a mess. And, and they tried to put him over. Excalibur tried to say, uh, you know, that Wardlow is still got a lot of strength and power. He's a hard man to put down, even though he's getting beat up by five guys. But uh, still didn't uh, didn't look great. Uh, then the match continued to devolve into ridiculousness as MJF uh, found himself outside the ring and he escaped, uh, leaving the rest of the pinnacle kind of strewn in the in the middle. Uh, so that's what you do when you're in a cage match like this. You just climb up to escape. Well, of course Jericho follows him up there, and this is where things go to crap. Um, so they got into it on the top of the cage. Jericho, uh, gets the better of MJF, puts him in the walls of Jericho, but, and this is why, and this is something, this is unique. I've never seen anybody do this. Of course, this is a no falls, no surrender, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but, uh, MJF was able to reach behind and, uh, crotch shot Jericho while he was in the walls of Jericho and, uh, and escaped. Then MJF put, uh, Jericho in the salt of the earth and even began to fold back and bite uh, Jericho's hand. Then, of course, MJF pulls out the uh, AEW diamond ring 
and waffles Jericho right in, right in his eyes to the point where Jericho was so dazed that MJF picked him up and held him over the edge of the cliff, edge of the cave, and yelled down, I'm going to throw him off. You better surrender. I'm going to throw him off. Be able to surrender. Throw, you better surrender or I'm going to throw him off. And they said, no, stop, stop. And, of course, Sammy Guevara basically says, okay, we surrender, we surrender. And the pinnacle wins. So the heel team wins a match the heel team is not supposed to win. But we're not done there because just like the last time, uh, MJF ended a feud with a major AEW star in Cody. Uh, he did something dastardly and did it as a walk-off. Uh, as he was holding Jericho there, he gave him the best working shove ever. And Chris Jericho falls back like the old 70s commercials of the Nesty Plunge. I know some of you out there are not old enough to remember. But Chris Jericho falls back blissfully without a care in the world into a crash pad with gimmicked plywood cardboard on it that looked like it was supposed to be a stage. Talk about anticlimactic. Talk about the biggest what the heck. Okay. Now, I get it. I get it. Well, first at the end, then MJF said, thank you. And then Pinnacle wins. But um, I know we're not trying to kill each other anymore. Well, maybe, maybe not. I mean, it depends on what you want to kill each other for. I know Matt Hardy's almost died twice uh, in AEW. Um, maybe they're not trying to intentionally kill each other. But for the stuff that they do that make that looks stupid all the time on the show, the stupid dives, the reckless behavior, the uh, you know, the, the doing cool stuff or whatever, for all of that, then there's this. A terrible, weak, contrived trust fall from 10 feet, 15 feet in the air at tops onto a crash pad. Something that 75-year-old Vince McMahon does on the reg. And Chris Jericho, yes, I know. Again, we're not trying to kill each other. Mick Foley at 48 years old, you know, splatting himself on a concrete during WrestleMania, WrestleMania 2000 or whatever. Or Mick Foley going off of the top of the cell at age 32, 35, whatever. I mean, okay, we're not trying to kill each other. But at least go through some tables, right? At least make it look good. If you're afraid to take the bump, don't take the bump. Shane McMahon jumps off of cages and lands on wrestlers across announce tables. I'm not saying it's good, and I'm not saying that I appreciate him doing it. I mean, I do appreciate him selling out for the business, but I don't appreciate like somebody who's older than me taking bumps like that. And at the same time, I don't appreciate this goofy, ill-conceived, ill-constructed end to this match either. It's bad enough the heels win and the, the baby faces don't get any justice. But it's worse when... A 50-year-old basically falls back onto his waterbed and goes to sleep, which is what happened. You could see the crash pad underneath it. It, was, it wasn't even like, you know, I mean, what happened with uh, O'Reilly and, uh, and, and Cole? It was like an empty thing. You couldn't even, like, see the padding underneath. They actually made it look like they broke the stage. This one, it basically looked like he was landing on a burnt marshmallow. So a disappointing end to an otherwise pretty good show and pretty good um, – main event. And I don't, again, I don't want to sit here and say that, uh, you know, AEW, uh, sucks terribly. Cause this actually did the two matches. The first two matches were good. 
Uh, I'm sorry, no, they weren't good. They were terrible. Um, the rest of it, I fast-forwarded through. But the Blood and Guts match itself had great potential. It had great build. It, everybody was doing what they were supposed to do. Everyone was making it look good except for the ending. And that is upsetting. And if that was what they were trying to leave us with, the bad taste in their mouth, well, then mission accomplished. Because along with the fake exploding barbed wire match and all the other dumb stuff they do, AEW just basically looks more, less and less like a professional wrestling organization and more and more like a backyard wrestling operation. And I hate to say that because I really wanted to give AEW some credit. And I did kind of give them a little bit of credit, but uh, this is definitely not going to make me come back and keep watching AEW. So we'll see what happens. It's sad that I have to report that, but but it's true. And Nothing on that show other than the first half or first two-thirds of the Blood and Guts match had anything that would capture my interest. So sorry I have to end the show on such a negative note. I hate doing that. I hate being a negative Nancy, but uh, we got to go. I went a little long, and it's Mother's Day. I've got things to do. So I just want to say, hey, thanks for tuning in to the Heel and Face podcast brought to you by Heel Turn Wrestling. I am your host, Steve Castellanovo. Hey, have fun throughout the rest of your week. And as always... Peace.